You're listening to Dr. Leslie Inspires, a show where we empower mothers by raising their level of awareness, discussing tough mother-son issues that everyone knows exists, but no one is talking about. Dr. Leslie is joined by Mr. Wayne, who provides insight from a male perspective. To learn more about us, visit our website at www.drlesleyinspires.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leslie. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the show where we are doing a continuation of a segment that we had not long ago with Elise. Elise, who is an educator, and she is a mother of three sons, and she has one daughter as well. And she's also teacher of the year at her school uh, in New Jersey. So we are so blessed and honored to have her. Her conversations are all, are usually so rich. Uh, I can say one thing about her. She is unapologetically unashamed of just the things that she's been through as a mother, as a woman, uh, as a daughter, uh, and just a woman of God. And so I am so happy to have her here again. Hello, Talise, and welcome to Dr. Leslie Inspires. Hi, Dr. Leslie. Thank you for having me again, and, and thank you for the, uh, the kind words. I appreciate that. I didn't say enough. All true, all true. So, Talise, today we were going to talk about your new book that is coming out because done is better than perfect. Ms. Talise has been waiting for the perfect time and trying to edit, you know, because she's an educator. So she wants everything in the book to be perfect. But I just informed her that every time I look at my books, I see something wrong. And so done is better than perfect. I want our listeners to take away that on today. Don't let perfection stop you from doing what you want to do. Just get it out there and make, make corrections later because done is better than perfect. And so Talise, having established that, um, well, let me go ahead and start in prayer first so that the Lord can bless this uh, conversation. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, oh God, for this opportunity to come before you one more time, praying that this meeting with Talise would be all of you and none of us, giving us the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to say what needs to be said so another mother can be uh, blessed, so that she can be empowered, educated, and um, encouraged on her journey and dealing with her son. And we just thank you, oh God, and we will be so careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So Talise, let's get started. The name of your book is entitled The Boyfriend Experience. Can you please just tell us a little bit about the title? How did you come up with that title? Um, the title really was inspired by my own life and then just lives of other women that I know who seems like they're, they govern their lives according to their boyfriends. 
Um, and so, and those experiences is kind of what shaped how they became um, and not always for the positive. So that's, that's pretty much where the title came from. Okay. So as I look at your book, I do have a copy uh, in front of me and you say some very powerful things and you talk about your ideal reader in the book. It says, perhaps you are reading this book because you are tired of meeting the same type of deadbeat guys. You might continue to ask yourself, why do I keep meeting the same type of guys who dress differently, look differently, and talk differently? But after it's all said and done, this same type of guy keeps popping up into my life. In the midst of every one of your relationships, you have asked yourself, why do I keep doing this to myself? What is wrong with me? Where is the guy that is already together? What do you mean by that? Well, when so things could appear differently on the outside. Like I said, the physical appearance appearances are different. But when you get into the relationship and you spend the time in the relationship and when it ends, you realize that or, or even when you're in a relationship, you realize there are certain characteristics or qualities that this man has that's the same as the last relationship. And so the question is, what is it that why am I drawing the same quality or characteristic? So it can't always be the man. You have to now look, take a look at yourself and see what is it that you're drawn to that, though, let's say um, I like the way this guy dresses better than the last guy, but he still ends up being very much having a quality or characteristic very much like the previous relationship that you were in. What is that? What is there something else that that man has beyond what you see on the outside that is drawing you to him. And then there's something inside yourself that's cre is, that is making that connection with that man. And why, why is it, what is it and why? Yes. That's, that's pretty much what I was talking about. Yes, absolutely. It goes on to say, you want the guy that has a self-sustaining job. He has reliable transportation. He values and maintains his credit and sees it as a reflection of himself. He sees himself as a strong man who will always add value to the life of his wife or to the woman that he's with. It says the man that I am talking about is not interested in only what a woman has to offer, but what he can bring to the table. Lord have mercy. And so this is important because the reason Dr. Leslie Inspires exists is because we have, we're talking about men. We're talking about uh, women who are struggling with their sons. And so these men that you are talking about in the boyfriend experience, they are somebody's son, a woman and a woman or a man raised him. And so somewhere along the way, he got these values from you know, mother or father, mother and or father, and it still caused him to be this deadbeat guy. 
Have you noticed any similarities in the background of these deadbeats or the, the, I'm sorry, the background of these men that you continue to encounter? Um, yes, there are some similarities in terms of either it, the, the family unit wasn't maybe wasn't always there, or if the family unit was there, it, um, it was kind of dysfunctional. Um, also, I would have to say that um, the mothers actually lacked something themselves. And, it, and because of that lack, they weren't able to give it to their sons. Mm. And, and their sons grew up and matured and they were just missing those things and they may not have gleaned it from other men that may have been involved in their lives. Right. There was def even if even if each mother's um, is not necessarily the way they raised them, but the fact that they had a piece missing in their life. And how was that evident? It was evident whether it was drug abuse. It's evident whether um, it was attention seeking. It, it was evident in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yes, it doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but the fact that there was a, a, de a deficiency there. Yes. Yep, I, I agree. So uh, in the introduction, you start by saying women often find themselves in relationships with men who do not bring something to the table. And I might add the introduction of this is entitled the table. So women often find themselves in relationships with men, with men who don't bring something to the table. The woman sets the table. Come on now. Which means she is the one with the house, the car, the good credit, etc. And this is in the book. She supplies what goes on the table, which means she has a job, sometimes more than one, or she attends school. And she many times cleans off the table. Come on now, Talise, what are you saying here? So when the man finds himself in a compromising position or needing help, the woman steps in and provides the money. She does the research for jobs. She is giving him pep talks and she bears the brunt of his frustration. She is cleaning up behind him. Women continue in cycles that lead to wasted time and limited to no progress. Women settle for any type of man because of hidden or unidentified, perhaps unacknowledged fears and or insecurities. Lord have mercy. Please talk about your introduction, the table to least, please. Well, let me let me say this. Um, you hear that saying, behind every good man is a great woman, right? Yes. And we have to identify because that great woman could look like this woman that we just talked about in the, in the introduction of the table. So you, where is the balance? Where Where is that great woman not great anymore? You know, because a great woman is influencing the man. The great woman's her the things that she does causes the man motivates the man supports the man it doesn't make the man mm. and um this 
a lot of women find themselves in that type of relationship just because they want to have one where the man isn't evolving or growing or maturing. That's when that, that becomes the issue. If you see growth, if you see maturity, if you see evolution, if you see um, stated, you know, verbalized, vocalized goals and, and ideas and dreams of a man, because I've been in those relationships, they have goals, they have dreams, they have ideas, and I'm right there running with them, trying to support, trying to, but then is it coming to fruition? And what, why isn't it? Now, am, am I being a hindrance? So you got to look at what is that person bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. You you can do all of those things with the thought press up the thought process of behind every great man is a great woman or behind every good man is a great woman, and realize that you might not have a good man or a great man. You might Ooh. you might oh. just be the woman. At what point in the boyfriend experience does she realize? that she doesn't have a great man. She has a mama's boy or she has a scrub or she has somebody who just won't do. He's lazy and he just wasn't raised uh, in the way that he does things for himself. She's actually taking the place of his mom. At what point does she realize that? And then at what point can you advise what, what things can you ask her to look for in the beginning so that she doesn't have to recognize this later after she's all involved and, and can't get out? That she's got a lazy scrub or a, a, a guy who's lazy and wants his mom to do everything and she's just taking the place of his mom. And I know I said a lot. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's okay. So at what point do they recognize? You know what? Sometimes it's early on. It depends on the woman. It depends on what her heart's desires are. It depends on how honest she is with herself. It depends on um, sometimes, you know, I have a high tolerance. I have mm-hmm. a high tolerance. I'm very patient. And, um, and I believe that people have the ability to change. And, then, and so that's how I find myself in relationships for a very long time um, because, because of those things. So for me, it takes me longer to go through that process because I'm being patient. I'm giving opportunity. I'm considering. I'm, I'm the person that's always considering the background, um, the the what what's being um, what's missing, and wanting to be all of that. But at the same time, I'm still I still have an expectation. But once that expectation for me hasn't been met, then that for me that's that's how I know. But, you know, I have friends who say once they see a sign, there is no, you're not getting a whole bunch of chances. If they see one sign, one indication, that's it. I'm, we're not going to try this. I'm not trying this. And, you know, there's some value in that. There's yeah. some, I, I would often say, well, Dawn, did you even give them a chance? It's only been a couple of weeks. I don't need no more than that. Once I see it. It, that's it. I'm not wasting my time. So it really is dependent on on each individual. But how you know is when you find yourself saying the same thing over and over again, or when you feel like you're frustrated and you hear open promises. That's that's when you you know. And it doesn't 
you, it doesn't have to be years. It can be a matter of, like I said, I have some friends it's just a couple of weeks. Once they see- you think that's based off of their experience? Like I've been down this road before. Um, it could be experience. It could be personality. It could be personality. Their personality is I don't have time to, you know, go through all of that. Once I see a sign, because I have one girlfriend from Tanzania and she's like, now she says, she calls me TT or TJ. You really, you are really patient. I wish I was patient like that. I was like, no, I wish I was like you. Right. Just say, you know what? I see the sign. Let me move on. You know, um, so she, what she did was she's, that's how she carried herself through different relationships. And then she met, she met the man who is her husband now. And she said, listen, I don't like this. It was about him looking at other women. And he would say, well, I'm just looking at her shoes. She said, look at my shoes. If you want to be with me, I'll wear the shoes that you want to look at. Then you look at my shoes. If that's the case, you know what I mean? Her thing was she made a declaration. This is what I want. Um, and she made several of them. This is what I want. Now, what do I do? I attribute that to her or do I attribute that to him? That's the question. Mm-hmm. He loved her enough to say, you know what? OK, Nick's another bro- a woman's shoes. And no, that's not where you want to live. Then we're not living there because she had she's like, I don't want to live in a parsonage of the church. You're going to find a place for us to live. And that's right. it. Was that her or was that him? Was it how he felt about her or was it, this is what she knew she wanted and she was good at getting what she wanted. Right. You know, so I'm still even in a learning process as I examine and re-examine different experiences that either myself or my friends have gone through and and what I've learned from those. Yes. Amen. You made very excellent points. and points of view uh, in your analogies. You know, the thing is when you talk about patience, um, you know, I think a a person has to decide what is too much and nobody can answer that for you. Just like she looked at you and you looked at her, you know, hey, I wish I had more of your patience. And she says, hey, I wish I had, you looked at her and said, I wish I had more of your gumption to like (laughs) cut it off faster. And so I think you're right in the fact that it has to work together. And I think that's a place where other people can come into play because sometimes we can't see what other people can see. Um, I remember going through something in my life and afterwards I was a little scared. I'm like, oh, I need some help. And I would kind of go afterwards and ask somebody like, I haven't done too well in this department. Um, I haven't done too good in this department, so I need to, um, I need some advice or I need some help, some other eyes to help me to see. And so that may be a suggestion too, if you know that there is a weakness uh, in your life, then you kind of have to figure out what your weakness is and get help, get help and ask somebody that you trust and someone who loves you enough to kind of tell you the truth, uh, especially in the in the male department or where when it comes to life decisions. So thank you, uh, Talise, for bringing that out. 
So something else in the book. This is um what you talk about when you were being raised. You talked about how you grew up, you had both of your parents, you grew up in a nice neighborhood, you had a car. I mean, you had basically everything that you wanted or could ask for, but there were some deficiencies that you felt kind of aided in how you make decisions on uh, today. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, so yeah, being the way I was raised and the way anybody is raised definitely influences, and please let me know if I'm not addressing the question. I want to make sure I address it. Okay. Um, it influences the, it influences the type of relationships we're in, um, whether it's in intimate relationships, work relationships, uh, our relationships with our children. And um, I, I, I reflected a lot on my past. Yes, I reflected a lot on my past um, when it came to my relationships with a man and with my relationships with children and understanding myself. Um, uh, I did, I, I've mentioned this before, I, there wasn't a lot of affection, direct affection shown. And, and when I look back, my mother didn't receive it either. You know, that's as far as back as I can go. I don't know how, if my great grandmother was, you know, affectionate, but all of that really impacted how, um, how I interacted with, uh, with my sons and how I interact with, uh, with my mate. Um, and I think that that's very important for women to really examine. Um, if you've had, um, if you had some type of trauma in your life in the midst of being raised and that was never addressed or dealt with, whether it's through counseling or just talking it out with the family member or whatever, those things all impact how, how uh, you interact as an adult and, and, and as you mature. And so um, I, I have been uh, inappropriately touched, uh, you know, and that definitely impacted the way that I raised my sons. Um, the lack of nurture that they may did not receive uh, growing up. Um, it, it, in what, it, in what, what other way? You said you being touched inappropriately. And I'm asking, I'm stopping there because... Yeah. I speak to a lot of women that have encountered some similar behavior, yeah. but they don't always attribute it to that. How do you attribute that to how you raise your sons? Well, wasn't I didn't? There wasn't a lot of hugging, and um, it, I, the, the physical nurturing wasn't there. As I recognized it, I got better with each child, but the first child, 
lacked it the most because I didn't recognize it at that time. And as a result, that impacted who he is as a man. Now he can sit back because he's told me, well, you never hugged us or told us that you loved us that often. And, and you know, you can't, you can't make up for time past. Like you can't replace that time, but you can start where you are. So I definitely yeah. try to do that, but that impacts him as well. That impacts perhaps his self-esteem or his outlook on maybe even me, you know, um, and those things are important. If you can take the time to you reflect them and, and recognize it and be honest with yourself, nobody is perfect. And part of what I've, I've recognized is that people just refuse to be honest. It's, they make this general disclaimer, nobody's perfect, but yet when you address their imperfection, they come up with all kinds of excuses and, and, and rationale about why they do, don't, or whatever. Admit it so that you can have a healthy relationship experience with not only your mate, but your children, your job. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not just one relationship that's impacted. Yes. Yeah, usually when, um, when we're talking to mothers, even though we're talking about the relationship with their son, you know, it goes into the relationship with their mother. It goes into the relationship with their father, whether it was there or not. And it goes into the relationship with, um, so their, their siblings. Because a lot of mothers who have siblings or who have brothers, let's say, for example, if their brother was the golden child, he was the one that the mother did everything for. He was the one who could do no wrong, but yet he was lazy and she was frustrated, but she still did things for. Guess what? She's impacted. And it is uh, uh, impacting how she is raising her son. So, so you're right. It impacts the whole family. And it really, again, goes back to the personality. It goes back to uh, a whole host of things that we don't necessarily know until we actually deal with it. So I definitely agree with everything uh, that you talked about. Um, you talked about the, the primary years in your book, the primary and elementary years of school. And you were born in Detroit, uh, in 1968, and you talk a little bit about that upbringing and how that impacted you today. Just tell us a little bit and a little bit of what you talked about uh, in the book as far as primary and elementary school years and how they affected your interaction with, uh, with young men or of yourself, your self-esteem. Um, I, let me see. I haven't read it in a minute, so let me recall. So there is one part where I talk about this harmonica um, that I love. I love this harmonica. And um, I was outside in the back and had the barrels that you see in movies where the people have fires burning in it. It's like it was like a tin metal or whatever barrel like that. And the harmonica um, 
fell in there and there were spider webs. And so I was very fearful of spider webs and I was little. So I was just a head over this, the height of the harmonica and I couldn't get it and nobody got it for me. Um, and if I'm trying to recall, um, so that was, I, I recognized a fear there. And I recognized that I never overcame that fear because I never got my harmonica. Um, you know what, if you don't mind, I need to really reference that part because yeah, it was just that area because I hadn't seen it in a minute. Okay. Um, or you can read the part that you're looking at that's make that, that you're, um, okay. It talks about, yeah, move. Because I know that in that, um, uh, I'm looking. Wait a second. I, I, I see it. Um, yeah. So I talked about how I was scared of the spider web. I love the harmonica. But it didn't seem like nobody cared about my passion for this harmonica. And I also hated the fact that I was scared because I wanted it. And what I learned in that was that my fear was greater than my love. For the, mm. like, and that was a really, I didn't learn it then, obviously. When I reflect, I'm like, my fear was so much greater than my love for the harmonica, which I never got. Um, right. But... I, I, um, I, there was something came from that. And that's something that as women, we have to look at what is, what is our fear? What is our fear about our children? What is our fear when we're in a relationship and is our, and then what are, what are our loves? What do we love? Do we, how much do we love our children? Yeah. Versus, you know, our fear and which one is greater because our fear can overtake our love for something, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and then, so if you, if you're fear, I remember not so much, you know, now, but I remember at raising my sons, I was just worried about um, what they were going to do, who they were going to become, what they were going to do. I was just worried about so many things. So that was my greatest fear when it came to the boys. Now I love them, but with, if that fear was so great that I might have um, enabled them with some behaviors that weren't good for them, mm -hmm. became very dependent on me in certain areas because of my fear of wanting to make sure that everything was all right, rather than maybe letting them kind of just leave the nest and learn some things. Mm -hmm. So, so in that primary year, in those primary years, when I look back, I learned, I saw how my fear was so much greater than my love for the harmonica that I was not willing to fight to overcome the fear of the spider web so that I can appreciate my, to learn what's a, what, how can I go about getting something that I wanted 
when there was an obstacle in a way, in the way. There's so much to me, there was so much lesson in that moment, in that experience. Because you have obstacles, you have fears, and all of those things you have to overcome to get what you want and to, to, to produce something. And sometimes we don't take the time to recognize that as, as much. Oh, you're stuck. I'm sorry. You were stuck. I was stuck. Uh -huh. Are you speaking about that experience? No, the, the uh, hearing was stuck in the oh. camera. Oh, well, you keep going. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. So just, just your primary years are something definitely you want to reflect on. You, of course, then you're not going to realize the things that you're actually going to realize now as you reflect, but it definitely can bring an understanding to who you are, why you are the way you are, and it's not too, you're, you're breathing, so it's not too late to make changes. You know, you're reflecting. It's not too late to make changes, to make the adjustments. It helps you to understand who you, you know, who you are and how you, uh, or in the decisions that you made. So that, that, yeah. mm -hmm. uh -huh. and the decisions, if, if we can look at our young selves from that standpoint of being five through age 10 or whatever age we were where trauma may have happened or something that completely impacted the way that we think now. Yeah. Uh, if we can think about the time frame that our sons are in, I always say that most of my clients have older sons, middle school and up, because the ones that can really use the help, uh, preschool and elementary school, they're still, they still have a form of denial and they have not yet come to grips with their own behavior or they have not yet come to grips with their son's behavior uh, from a negative standpoint. And so we usually get the calls, middle school and believe it or not, adult. Yeah, yeah. Because by the time they have become adults, most, not all women, have come to grips where I've got a problem on my hands. And yeah. I wish that this could happen sooner, but unfortunately it does not. And right. then as an organization, Dr. Leslie Inspires, we go back to do exactly what you just talked about, Talise. Go back to those early childhood years for the mother, because right. we can't change the son's behavior, but we can work to change or modify his behavior by changing your behavior because you are only in control of you, right. not your son. But right. so many mothers, they want to be so in control of what he's doing. We're not in control. You can influence, use your motherly influence, use your wife, your wifely influence, use that, the motherly influence. But in terms of telling them what to do, you might think you're in control, but we're not as in control, as much uh, in control as we think we are. It's the power of influence. So right. yes, I completely agree. And we have to get out of the mindset of being in control. That's something that I've learned. 
And so I've, I, I learned that, you know, before they became adults, it's just your condition in one way that is sometimes it becomes challenging to practice. But more than controlling, we want to be, we don't want to be able to control them, we, but we do want to be, let me see, I always say, a lot of times when we use the, the little phrase in control, we what we really are being is controlling. We're trying to be controlling. We want to, them to do this, this, and that. But to be in control, if we think about how God does things, he doesn't make us do anything. But he lets us know, if you do this, then that. If you don't do this, then that. So being in control uh, of, of, our, of our children is setting boundaries, setting consequences, setting rewards, and yeah. going through with those things. And, and the earlier you do that, the more success you have with your children. But when you're trying to control who they are and, and what you want them to do and not allow them to be who they are and still put boundaries and guidelines in place, then that's when you'll, I think that you'll find the resistance that you meet when they become adults or they don't look and line up to how you think they should be or what you expect them to be. I think parenting, in my mind, naive, immature, huh, when they get 18, they are be good out there. No, it didn't even work that way. So far from it. So far from it. And, and because you're a parent, because you're a mother, because you love your kids, because you always want them to do well, you're always in some kind of parent mode. Yes. One of the things that the book has shown me and taught me is that parent mode has to stop at some point mm. once really when they get to adulthood and, and my kids my kids have shown me this in their adult ages uh they shared they shared with me what they wish i would have done the youngest one I, you should have been harder on me i needed more discipline you know um right. and and rather than as a mother being resistant trying to defend yourself Embrace what they're saying. That's because they're saying from, they're doing hindsight as well. Yes. They would never in the moment say, discipline me more, mom. So <laughs> they're looking hindsight as well. Wow, 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 wow. That was very well said. Whew, let me tell you something. That is very important. And, and we're going to get ready to wrap up here because you're right. In the moment, he is too immature to understand that what seems to be hurting him so bad from his standpoint or you as the mother afraid and you asked the question earlier, what are we afraid of? The reason, you know, when you talked about the harmonica, your pain or your fear of spiders was much greater than sticking your hand down in there to get your harmonica. This situation with mothers and their sons is exactly the same. Sometimes mothers fear that their sons are going to stop loving them. They fear that their son is going to love their father more than them. They fear that their son may run away and they may never see him again. They fear that their son may try to commit suicide. They fear that their son may become a failure. They fear that their son may become like their father, her father, his father, some of the uncles all no good. And they fear that their son may become like that. 
They fear that their son may get on drugs and be around the, the wrong crowd. There are so many fears that mothers that we work with have that they continue to baby them. They continue to try to control the situation. They continue to try to control their son. They continue to try to control their actions only to find out one day that he still did what you were trying to keep him from doing and everything that you told him not to do, he still did, you know? And so mothers have these fears and things still happen, you know, whether it is you control so much that now he's used to you controlling. He won't do anything. He's stuck because he's used to you doing everything. That is the biggest problem. And now that he's old enough, mothers are frustrated because now I need him to do these things. Well, he doesn't know how because you always did them for him. So all of those fears now start to manifest to Lisa, just like you talked about. They start to manifest, but the things that she is truly afraid of are those things that go back to elementary school uh, and before that are plaguing her, which is why she she's trying to do so much. So as we close, what was the defining moment for you where you understood something that you just said? At some point, you have to let them go and grow up, basically. You had, you had experiences with three very different sons. At what point do you let them go and how do you know when that is? Uh, I think for me, uh, I had people talking to me like uh, the oldest, his father, or I either, either either saw my mother always trying to, and then I'm like, you know what? And then even my son, he wanted, he wanted all of them. They were like, we can do this on our own. If we fail, we'll fail. We'll get back up. And the fact that he said that is that was motivating for me. Like, okay, they recognize that failure, it, it can happen and then they'll figure it out, but let me figure it out. And if nothing else, let me honor that request from them. So I wanted to step back and, and, and be more of, come to me when you, when you need, when you want the advice, when you need me. You know, wow. did, you always, did you say that? Come yeah. To me when you learn? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, because, because a lot of times they won't because they want to try to do it on their own. And I try to explain even then that it's okay because if I have it and you need it and I can help you, then I will. Don't just totally be without because you want it, you just going rogue and just trying to do everything on your own. We all need each other in some capacity. But yes, try it on your own. Come up with, find, utilize other resources. But if those things don't work and what you need is, is crucial, then I'm available. I'm here. Wow. Amen. Amen. You know, we hear so many different stories with Dr. Leslie Inspires. There's no cookie cutter way to solve this. No. Everybody is different. Every woman is different. Every son is different. You know, we just provide strategies that can help you based off of your own individual situation. 
But but I commend you, Talise, for really one, uh, wanting to help people enough to write a book. And again, done is better than perfect. So we're going to see that on, uh, available on Amazon very soon. Um, but the other part is just being open and honest enough to share your story with us on today. So as we close, is there anything else that you wanted to share or some words of wisdom that you wanted to give to mothers that may be listening today? Um, yeah, I would just say to mothers and to women in, in, in relationships, um, to go back, reflect, reflect on your childhood, identify uh, hurts, identify um, deficiencies in yourself. And you know what they are. And if you don't, some I guarantee you, one of your friends have probably already told you. You know, um, look at what is a weakness inside of you when it comes to parenting, when it comes to being in a relationship. And be honest with yourself. Write it down so that you can look at it and then start to address it. Address it by, um, you know, looking at Dr. Leslie Inspire, getting on her um, reading or listening to her podcast. Um, she always has some piece of literature that she uh, puts out. Those, those, that information is valuable and is helpful. And then you surround yourself with people that's going to be supportive of the growth and the maturity that you're trying to accomplish. Yes, yes. Amen. Woo, this was really, really good. And I know it's going to bless uh, some mothers because I did get uh, responses from the last one. So, you know, you never know what you said today. You may not even remember, but you may not even know what you said that may impact someone else. So if you are listening on today, please send me an email and let me know what resonated with you. You can either do it on the Facebook group or you can do it, uh, send me an email so that I can let Talise know. Um, you can also subscribe to our podcast and make sure you give us a five-star review because we enjoy bringing you uh, this important content. So we're going to close in prayer now. Thank you so much again, Talise. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for today. And we thank you for the things that were said. Father, I just ask that you give a special blessing for Talise with her book, The Boyfriend Experience, so that it gets in the hands of the right people uh, who she can serve, who she can help. And we thank you, oh God, and we will be so careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dr. Leslie Inspires. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Also, for more content and resources, please be sure to visit our website, www.drlesslieinspires.com. We'll see you in the next episode.